0: I know that you all have been paying attention to a lot of what's been going on in this country, as as Christians are being pushed out of public life. We're supposed to keep our our opinions to ourselves, keep our our Christian faith in the churches, and not be among society. In in the military, Christians are being purged and conservatives are being purged. One of the ways they're doing that is with the vaccine. A number of Christians have a problem with the vaccines. In the Air Force, I know the um, the commander of Neil's unit is quite surprised at the number of religious exemptions that are coming from his unit <laughs> because my son slips underneath their, everybody's door a religious exemption. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't mean that they're going to get uh, exempted, but they're all filing for it because somebody's son is doing a good job of giving all of his men the religious exemption form. So, But as we're facing these things, we're looking today at the first religious persecution of Christians. And we're not going to get very far into it today. As I say, we're only going to cover the first four verses. Previously in Acts 3, we had uh, Peter and John healing a lame man that everybody in the country, uh, in the city of Jerusalem knew. They knew he was lame. They knew he could not walk. They knew he was not baking because he had lain there for years at the gate called Beautiful So today, I'm going to go ahead and read the first four verses. And of course, I've got all 13 down here, but we're not going to do all 13. Acts chapter 4, 1 through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. It was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now there's, believe it or not, there's a lot to get into here. This first persecution of the church. Notice who is doing the persecuting here. When I, at least when I think of the persecution of the church, I go to Rome. I think of the Roman emperors persecuting the church. Um, Nero famously blamed the fire that destroyed much of Rome on Christians and to escape his own culpability persecuted the Christians it's said that um, he lit his gardens at night by the bodies of Christians turned into torches that was just some of his uh, deeds after Nero's death Emperor Domitian ascended to power in AD 81 he ruled for 15 years, and his rule was marked by even more persecutions of Christians. Marcus Aurelius followed Domitian, and he was the most enlightened of the emperors of, of Rome. When my daughter, was, I, I shared this before, my daughter was 10, she'd read everything in the house, and she wanted to, more stuff to read, so I pulled down... Uh, Marcus Aurelius. And I said, here, read this and tell me what you think about it. And uh, I didn't really expect much and she came back. Remember, she's 10. She came back and she said, Daddy, Marcus Aurelius was really a good man. He just needed one more thing. And I said, what's that? And He said, he needed to know Jesus Christ because he struggled with his life because It didn't make sense to him, and it didn't make sense because he didn't have God. Anyway, he might have been um, the most enlightened of the Roman emperors, but he too persecuted the church. Uh, Many were beheaded. Thousands were thrown to the animals as entertainments. Their bodies were then burned, and the ashes thrown into the air to prevent them from being resurrected as though God couldn't take any molecules he wants and reconstitute a man but they spread the ashes of the Christians who were burned because they knew that somebody had been resurrected once. The worst persecution came under Diocletian, who turned the full force of his army on the Christian church to destroy them. Uh, They say that millions died in that persecution. But the Romans were not the first to uh, persecute the church. That dubious distinction goes to the Sanhedrin and the chief priests of the Jews. Now, remember, it was that Sanhedrin that demanded the execution of Jesus. It was not the Romans. The Romans may have put Jesus to death, but it was the Sanhedrin who asked for it. In fact... Pontius Pilate found Jesus innocent of any crime and tried several times to set him free. But the Sanhedrin insisted that Jesus be crucified. The Romans went along with their demand to keep the peace in Israel. So... And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. I have pointed out before that the Jewish nation was composed of four factions. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. The Zealots were just what they sound like. They were Jewish terrorists trying to drive Rome out of Israel. The Essenes are not found in Scripture. They're the only one of the three that are not named in Scripture. But we know they're there from uh, contemporary history. The Essenes, they lived a communal, monastic lifestyle. They were outside of the cities. They kept to themselves. They had a vow of voluntary poverty and abstaining from worldly pleasures. And we've had some groups in modern-day Christianity that sound a lot like that. And if I'd been thinking about it, I would have written down who they are. But anyway the Pharisees we know for personal piety uh, in addition in addition to the written scripture the Pharisees hung to the uh, tradition of oral uh, the oral tradition of the Jews they were also businessmen they were the leaders of the synagogue they were not generally the priests the priests were Levites but they were businessmen and leaders of the synagogue. And then there were the Sadducees, who we see here. The high priests of Israel at this time were always Sadducees. The Sadducees rejected the oral traditions and only went with uh, written scripture. Among the things they did not believe, they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So when, when the Sadducees come across Peter and John preaching Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that was frowned on. But they also, they did not believe in future rewards or punishments. They did not believe in angels or the spirit world. They also rejected both predestination and the sovereignty of God. And they believed man was the master of his own destiny. Religion to the Sadducees was simply social custom. And it sounds like they were the liberal mainline religion of their day. Because we have a lot of those in the country nowadays who really don't believe in those things. So back to verse 1, it says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests, and we'll stop there. These were not the high priests, these were the serving priests. The everyday priests who were fulfilling their obligations to serve in the temple. There were 24 courses, or families, that served as priests in the temple. You served for one week, and then 23 weeks later, you served another week. And all the priests served during Passover, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and Pentecost. So, you served five weeks a year. And these are the priests who come upon Peter and John, preaching Because of their infrequent service, the priests who found Peter and John preaching to the people were annoyed at the disturbance in their time of service. The priest was accompanied by the captain of the guard. Now, the Romans had given the security of the temple to the Jews. The Romans would not go into the temple. They were given to a police force the captain of the guard was the chief uh, a chief of police for the temple police. His rank was strategos, or we get strategy from, which meant commander or general. He was second in rank among the Jews only to the uh, chief priest himself. Along with them were the Sadducees, who were uh, We're not told uh, that they comprised the Sanhedrin here, but they probably constituted some of them. And in the Sanhedrin, uh, the Sanhedrin was 71 people, including the high priest. Some were Sadducees. uh, Most were Sadducees. Some were Pharisees. And the Sanhedrin were comprised of uh, the, the leading Sadducees. So to recap the situation, the priests serving the temple were annoyed, with Peter and John for disturbing their service. The captain of the guard was annoyed because they were disturbing the peace. Uh, The Sadducees were upset because Peter and John were preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, which none of these groups believed in, as they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Beyond that, they were actually upset that Peter and John were teaching at all because they were not we see that down in verse eight here, which we are not going to get to today, because we're only going through verse four. And no, verse thirteen says that they were that the group perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished at their teaching. Now, there are many denominations today that believe that you need to go to their seminary. Uh, The Methodists have it, uh, the Episcopals have it, Presbyterians have those. As a matter of fact, the Baptists have some of the leading seminaries in the country. However, the Baptists are some of the very few people who think it is not necessary to go to seminary to be a pastor. As a matter of fact, Bill has a seminary degree, and I have never been to seminary. I wanted to go, but I didn't get the chance. Anyway, they were astonished at their teaching. Recap. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. Now, there are three things that I find interesting about this. First, Peter and John were arrested for nothing. They weren't breaking no laws. There was no law that said you could not argue theology in the uh, Solomon's Portico. People did this all the time. They gathered there to discuss the ideas of the day. Basically, they were arrested for preaching. Now, we know for certain that they were breaking no law from verse 18, which also we're not covering today. Uh, where the tribunal set up to try them could not find them guilty of anything and could only order the apostles not to preach in the name of Jesus, which they refused to go along with. The second thing to notice here is that Peter and John were taken into custody for it was already evening. No trial was allowed in Judaism, in Jewish law, at night nighttime. Uh, it was really nice of them to think, think this through because four weeks before, Jesus was tried at nighttime. All legal proceedings were to take place in the light of day, but to make sure that Jesus was found guilty, they tried him at night. But here, four weeks later, the authorities decided to finally obey their own laws and took them into custody instead. There's one more point here in this passage, and I often tell you that I, I need to read more closely than I do when I'm reading Scripture. Uh, luckily, uh, John MacArthur does that for me, because he has one more thing here. Remember that when, when uh, Peter and John healed the leper, they were going to the uh, prayers, ninth, ninth hour prayers. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. We're then given... is going to only be a synopsis of the sermon that Peter preaches because now at the end of the sermon when the Sadducees and Pharisees come upon him, it's evening. Peter's been speaking for three hours. Okay, There's a big sermon going on here that we don't know about. We just know the major points about it. And John MacArthur said, no, it's evening. It was growing dark. And we're talking May... Uh, how light does it stay in May? Is it light till 7? 7.30? I don't know what the Jewish uh, law was at what time evening started that you couldn't have a trial but they've been there a long time with the, uh, with the former uh, lame man preaching. Peter's actual arguments about Jesus and against the lawlessness of the Jews lasted perhaps three hours or more and anyway like I say they were told to not preach anymore in Jesus name but it was already a little bit too late for that because verse 4 says but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000 well some commenters say that this number of 5,000 includes the 3,000 who had already believed at Pentecost so 2,000 believed at this day But scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says that 5,000 were added, but it's really not very important. The one important thing about this number that you need to keep in mind is that the number of Christians is never mentioned in the Bible again. It grew so quickly after this that there was no one who could keep track of how many Christians were in the church. Last we have is 5,000. What was seen as a weird Jewish cult, and it did—it was a weird Jewish cult. That's what they everybody saw it as. Would spread throughout the known world, and actually all the world, uh, because it spread to places that were unknown to the Romans at that time. Uh, Thomas was in India; others were up in the Ukraine. This was not Roman territory. It spread everywhere. It spread to Africa. The apostles went to Africa. They went to Ukraine. They went to India. They went possibly to England. But it spread so quickly that it completely conquers the Roman Empire. You know, one thing I was thinking about as I was doing this is, have you ever noticed that the people that people never think that they're the bad guy in a situation. Okay? They never think they're the bad guy. They always think they're the good guy. Judas did not see himself as the bad guy. I'm sure of that. I'm sure that he thought betraying Jesus was the right thing to do. Whether he thought having Jesus arrested would make Jesus fight back and take his rightful place as king, or which is a theory I've heard, or that this act would usher in the kingdom of God, or whatever was his reason, I assure you he did not see himself as the bad guy because nobody ever wants to be the bad guy. The high priests and the Sanhedrin didn't see themselves as the bad guy, even as they plotted to murder Jesus. John eleven forty five through 50 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. The Jews saw themselves as saving their nation. Even murdering Jesus was worth it to them. They didn't see themselves as the bad guy. Do you think Nero, well, Nero might have said. Saw himself as a bad guy. Uh, Everybody else did, but uh, but they didn't see themselves as bad guys. There's no way they did that. They were keeping the peace, you know, by their by their extreme cruelty to unruly nations. They were keeping the peace. The Pax Romana is well known even to this day. It just means the Roman peace. It started in AD twenty uh, BC 27, just before Jesus, and lasted 200 years. Because of the way they treated, well, Jesus, or other criminals or other nations that defied them, there was peace. And that's all the emperors really cared about was keeping the peace. And everything else didn't matter. So, no matter what they did, they weren't the bad guys because they were keeping the peace. It doesn't matter how horrific they were in doing it, they were still the good guys because they were keeping the peace. When Christianity spread throughout the empire, it was aggressively attacked because of, originally because of two reasons, ignorance and misunderstanding. Christianity, as I pointed out before, was labeled a sex cult because it was well known among the Romans that the Christians said that you're to love one another. And what does that mean? Because love, romantic love, did not exist in the Greek and Roman cultures. You married you married for position. But a sex cult, because love one another. Christians were called cannibals. Because it was well known that they would eat. uh, They talked about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. And we all know that symbolism. But it was not understood by the Romans. The Romans did not understand why the uh, Christians could not just go along with all of the different gods within the empire. Christians would only worship one and that was antisocial to the Romans. The Romans said, no, come on, we go into these different countries and they have their own gods and we take them in. And everybody worships these gods but not the Christians. No, the emperors did not see themselves as the bad guys. Even as they approved of the exposure of babies. Okay? This wasn't bad you have too many children? Take your baby out, put it on a dung heap. And the Christians would come and gather up those babies. And the Christians started the first orphanages ever known in the world out of love for common people. The emperors thought they were the good guys even as they allowed the poor to die of illness in the streets. And the Christians... Of the Roman Empire went around gathering up the sick and started the first hospitals that ever existed to take care of the poor and destitute. But the emperors are the good guys and the Christians are the bad guys in this story. It is the way of the world that the evil among us see themselves as good and persecute the actual good in the world. It is going on today, if you haven't noticed. Because we can see this, neo-paganism, if not outright Satanism, is spreading its um, darkness across our culture. In the name of any number of different things, Uh, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, all the perverse beliefs being disseminated in our society. This, This is nothing but a rejection of God's order. The thing about this is that none of this is new. It's been around 2,000 years. Romans 1, verse 14, verse 18, verse something. I need stronger glasses again. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You sort of see that with Google and uh, Facebook, and if there's something they don't like that you're saying, they're keeping you from being able to say it. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I'm wondering if Paul left anything out there. I'm not positive he did. I think he might have covered everything. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They give they not only do it, but they give approval to those who practice them. As it says in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. In fact, it's my contention contention that that Satan doesn't need any new tricks because the old ones work so well. This was being done 2,000 years ago. People were falling for this 2,000 years ago. The military is forcing out Christians of conscience who refuse the mRNA genetic experiment. Lawless cities shut down churches. Christians are not are told to keep their faith out of the public square. But the thing we must remember is that this is how it has always been. Evil hates good. Darkness hates light. Satan hates God, and by extension, us. But just as Satan has nothing new, neither does the church need anything new. Everything we need, we were given at Pentecost through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the establishment of Jesus Christ's church. Jesus has built his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in these times that grow increasingly dark, increasingly weird, that is what we need to hold on to: that that hell will not prevail against His church. It will go forth. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do. We do thank you for Your church. We we also see that the things we're going through now are age old. I often preach that the people back in the patriarch's time were no different than us. They weren't less intelligent. If anything, they were more intelligent. But neither are the sins any different now than they were back then. People have always rejected God's truth for the most part. Lord, we do pray that we will stand and proclaim truth as we see it, that we will not fall for the consensus of our time because the consensus says that God is not important And the people should just be able to do as they wish. Lord, I pray that you will keep us strong during this time. That we may serve you as we serve others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.